Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. What is being spoken? First John chapter number 5 and verse number 6 today. The Bible says... And, and just as a, and I, this made me happy, Brother Zach McGee, this morning, that I started looking at all the verse, scripture that was used in this lesson because this is not my material, okay? And I counted about 27 scriptures. Man, it's just an apostolic thing, I suppose. I don't know. Verse John chapter 5, verse number 6. This is he, and it'll tell us who he is, that came by water and blood, even this is the he, Jesus Christ. Not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. And there are three that bear witness in earth, the Spirit, and the water, and the blood, and these three agree in earth. One Again, this is basic training for life. Lesson two, water baptism today. Father, I come to you right now. Open up our minds, our hearts, and our understanding, Lord. God, that we can, Lord Jesus, learn. God, those of us, Lord, that have, Lord, already applied this to our life, help us, Lord Jesus, just to, Lord, affirm, God, what's being said here today. God, nothing more. God, just put it back in our mind's memory again. Pre-adventure, Lord, someone would ask of us of the hope that lieth within us. God, we'd be able to answer, Lord, with your word. I pray, O oh Lord Jesus, minister each and every person, God, in this time together. In Jesus' name that I pray, amen and amen. Everybody say amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. In other words, the, the Apostle John is writing here, and he's telling us that this one that is from heaven, this Jesus Christ that came to earth, that he came to earth by water and blood and that the Spirit of God testified of his identity. The Spirit of God did or the Spirit of truth as it's seen here in Scripture. There are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And the Scripture said that these three are one. But there were three, if you will, that gave testimony on the earth that Jesus Christ was more than just a man, more than the carpenter's son, more than the son of Mary. The Bible speaks here in 1 John that the Spirit of God testified of this, that the water, or if you will, if you look at it through the view of Jesus Christ being birthed from a virgin's womb, a virgin birth, water testified of it, and the blood that was shed on Calvary testified of the, 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 the validity of Jesus Christ and his identity. Jesus was the Christ. He was the word of God that was made flesh. And when we look at John, not First John now, but John, St. John chapter number 3, we understand how Jesus spoke to Nicodemus in verse number 3. Just a little ways down, here's what Jesus said. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Nicodemus, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, 
except a man be born of water and of the Spirit. He cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now, what I just read to you this morning, that was not one of Jesus' disciples speaking. That was, that, but that's not a Pentecostal book on doctrine that's speaking. Uh, you're reading this out of the book of John, all right? It's not from a handbook necessarily, but who is speaking here is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is saying himself that except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus Christ himself is the one that, says, that breaks it down a little further and says, except they be born of water and of spirit, they cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So this, this, is, not, this is not third-tier information. This is not uh, generations removed information. This is coming from the man himself. That you must, must, I believe it's important to underscore the idea of the word must there. You must be born of water and spirit in order to see and enter into the kingdom of God. He goes on in verse number six, that which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must, again here is the, the imperative, the imperative statement, ye must be born again. He didn't say you might be, didn't say that you maybe be, but you must be. In other words, it's mandatory. You must be born again of the water of the Spirit. And Jesus is the one that's saying this. If we go to Luke 24 now, verses 46 through 53, and look what is being said here. This is after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus is giving his apostles some of the last instructions that he has for them before he ascends up into heaven, uh, into the clouds, out of their sight. And so this is some of his final instructions in Luke 24, verse 46. The Bible says, and he said unto them, thus it is written, and thus it behooved, or it was necessary for, basically, Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. And he led them out as far as to Bethany and lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. Now this is the book of Luke, Luke 24. Luke is writing this. Amen. He's writing the gospel here of Jesus Christ according to his understanding. But Luke did not only write the gospel of Luke, but he also wrote the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. So whenever you close the book of Luke, you can virtually open the book of Acts. It is the same writer. Luke authored both Luke and Acts. So he closes the first book, and he's talking about repentance and remission of sins, and then he enters into the book of Acts, and he's speaking a little bit more about this. Now, just, just for a, a stopping point again, because we live in a big day that people want stuff validated. All right? People are wanting things validated. Well, Luke must have understood that centuries before it got to us 
because in Luke chapter number one, and I'm, I read this with purpose today, in Luke chapter number one and verse number one through four, and I just read this in the past couple of weeks and I understood that Luke was validating uh, his authorship and validating the words that he was going to speak. He said, for as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us. In other words, he said, there's been a lot of people that's wrote about this, about what we believe. He says, even as they delivered them unto us, he says, we have heard these from Christ and we deliver them likewise to other people, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. He says in verse three, it seemed good to me also. Luke says, I thought it well also to write on the subject matter. Having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first to write unto thee in order most excellently Theopolis that thou mightest know the certainty of those things wherein thou hast been instructed so Luke starts out his writing just like this you can believe what I'm saying we were eyewitnesses of that which I record so you can believe what we are talking about I want you to know with certainty of the things that I write. I have been given, because I heard it from the man himself, I have been given perfect understanding concerning these things. So, although in Luke, we're hearing from the pen of Luke, although inspired by the Holy Ghost, he is an eyewitness of the Lord Jesus Christ. His account is certain. His account he has perfect understanding of. And he tells us very well that Christ told them that they should go and tarry into Jerusalem. Amen. And that repentance and remission of sins were going to be preached in his name there at Jerusalem and they should go. And so Luke picks up his pen again in the book of Acts and he's still addressing Theopolis. We see the former treaties that I wrote to you, O Theopolis. He speaks in the first chapter of Acts. Luke is continuing. And as he continues in the book of Acts, he goes in Acts 2 and verse number 1 and states these words. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire and it sat upon each of them and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now folks, this was quite a bizarre thing that took place and gathered the attention of a lot of people on this particular day. This was no small stir that happened in a corner somewhere. The Feast of Pentecost was going on. Men and women from various different nations across the world had come together at Jerusalem to observe this Feast of Pentecost. And so Peter preaches a sermon. He's preaching a sermon that's qualifying tongues. He's preaching a sermon that's qualifying a demonstration he talks about Joel's prophecy of old that in the last days saith the Lord I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh he preaches about the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ in his sermon the first sermon ever amen preached on the salvation message in scripture and he closes his message and it's all said and done but when he was through giving his message and everything the multitude that was listening to him and he he had quite a multitude find a question in their spirit then in Acts 2.37. Now, when they heard this, everything, 
that Peter had preached had mentioned concerning the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Everything that Peter had been talking about. Whenever they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And so the answer that comes next from Peter is to a multitude of people that is separated from God, lost as it were, and the Bible records the answer for a lost society. And this is the words then that Peter spoke to them what they must do in verse 38. Then Peter, we should rally around, man, this is, this is, a, this is a watermark of apostolic heritage. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Someone say, Amen. 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 The writer of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 9, we're talking about these things and we're talking about remission of sins and we're going to be talking about baptism today. The writer of Hebrews said that without the shedding of blood that there is no remission of sins. And yet Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. In other words, this is going to, there's going to be the blotting out, the doing away with, if you will, of your sins because the Spirit and the water and the blood, these three witnesses in the earth, agree in one being born again. All three witness, if you will, to the new birth experience that we read in our scripture reading this morning. These three agree with God's purpose to all creation, amen, as a redeemed people, if we have the, the water, the blood, and the spirit. The saying with these three witnesses, the water, the blood, and the spirit, amen, we are, as a, as, as a society, we can be more than conquerors with the water, the blood, and the spirit, amen. So Peter says, repent and be baptized, and this is an emphasis. This has been a long time emphasis for me, I guess because scripture emphasizes it. And that one should not, should not be baptized unless they have first repented. Repentance is the first step. Now there's a lot going on today I don't agree with. Let me back up and say this. There's a lot going on today that the Bible doesn't agree with. People's getting people just in the water, just to get them in the water, baptizing them in the name of Jesus, but they never repented. Repentance is vital. Repentance is absolutely important. And we don't have time to go through everything, but you've heard before, some of you had, how the tabernacle in the wilderness was a picture of our repentance, baptism, and infilling of the Holy Ghost. No priest went to the labor, which was the second piece of furniture in that tabernacle, without first going to the altar where there was a sacrifice. He, he was not allowed to go to the labor, then back up and go to... No, 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 no. He went to the altar. Blood was shed. There is no remission without shedding in the Old Testament of blood. All right? 
And then he went to the labor to wash. It is absolutely necessary that an individual repents before they are baptized. Amen. Because it's there at that altar that death took place. It's there that blood was shed. As a matter of fact, he couldn't go anywhere else in the tabernacle until something's died on that altar. Amen. Couldn't go anywhere else until something has died on that altar. And so I believe it's important that we, again, I know last week we spoke of repentance, but again, we need to underscore the importance of repentance. If you want water baptism, I'll say this, if you want water baptism this morning, then you, you, you're going to need to repent. And last week we understood that repentance is more than confession. Repentance is more than emotion. Repentance is a change. Repentance is a change. And so if we're going to be buried in Jesus' name, then we must first die to those trespasses, die to those sins, all right? Amen. And so why do we then, why do we get baptized? Look what Peter answers again in Acts 2.38. Again, it's for the remission or absolution, if you will, of sins. Amen. Paul said in Acts 22, verse 16, that when we are baptized, we wash away our sins amen it's the same washing away that kind of took place at that labor piece of furniture in the old testament they washed with all that they might be clean so that they could continue on into the holy place and eventually get to where the holies of holies was in the presence of god if you want to get into the presence of god you must have repentance and you must have baptism in jesus name can someone say Amen. The Bible says in 1 Peter 3 and verse number 20, and Brother Zach, I appreciate you staying with me today, bud. The Bible says, which sometimes were disobedient, when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a preparing, wherein few, that is eight souls, were saved by water. The like figure, whereunto even baptism, doth also now save us so Peter is saying here back in the days of Noah God saved Noah and his family by water but he says the parallel account to that in the New Testament is that now water baptism now saves you the only way that we can be saved is the same way that Noah was saved and that's by water well, how was it that water saved Noah? Well, the earth was filled with sin. It was filled with wickedness and corruption and evil men. And whenever God baptized, if you will, the earth that was filled with that sin and that corruption and that wickedness by having the flood waters come upon the earth, the earth was totally immersed. The earth was totally immersed under the water. And so it did, in a certain degree, cleanse the earth of the wickedness, of the corruption, amen, of man. And so that whenever Noah stepped off the ark, there was no more sin, as it were, upon the earth. Well, whenever you go down into the watery grave of baptism, all of your sins are washed away. They are remitted. You're saved by faith in God's plan of water baptism. The Bible says in Mark 16, verse 15, and he, speaking of Jesus, said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Again, 
Here's Jesus speaking. If somebody's got problems with uh, the disciples who were eyewitnesses of his glory speaking, here's Jesus speaking. And Jesus is saying, you have to believe and you have to be baptized and ye shall be saved. He told Nicodemus, except you're born of the water and of the spirit, ye cannot enter into the kingdom of God. It's a commandment of God's word. It's not this, although I support this, being a, a minister of the gospel, and the minister of the word, although I support this, this is not mine. It's his. All right? I, please, because I, so many times you say, well, that's, what you, that's just what you think. This is not what I think. This is what scripture thinks. And I stand here as a supporter of just what scripture says. All right? I think it's important to make that, that difference. This is just what, I'm just relaying to you what scripture says. And so by its very definition, when we start to consider the method of baptism, by its very definition, the word baptism gives clear instruction on the right method. Baptism comes from the Greek word baptismos, which means to dip or to immerse. And so we are to be immersed or completely put underwater when we are baptized. Paul gives a very clear picture and description that we oftentimes looked at, but I want to look at it again. Romans 6 and verse 3. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism. Again, to be buried, you got to get all the way under, in, go under, in order to be buried. I've attended a few funerals in my life, lifetime, and people are enclosed, they're enshrined, they're entombed, they are buried. Amen. If it's in the ground, they're covered up with the dirt. If they're cremated, their ashes many times are put in the urn. Amen. Uh, if it's a mausoleum, they're concealed inside of a crypt. Amen. You are buried. You're totally hid away, if you will, in the water. He says, such so is being baptized. We're buried with him by baptism. Amen. Totally cloaked, totally covered by the water. Amen. Whenever you are baptized. Amen. We're covered. Just like Paul said, or Peter rather said, that no one in his family was saved by Water. Water flooded the earth completely. All of sinful com humanity completely. And so when we are baptized, our sinful nature must be totally covered by the water. And whenever we see people baptizing in the Bible and in the scripture, there's a consistent way in which they were baptized. We read in Acts chapter number 8 and verse number 39, uh, Philip had just finished baptizing the Ethiopian. Ethiopian eunuch that said hey here's water what doth hinder me to be baptized and the Bible says the phrase that says in Acts 8 39 they were come up out of the water whenever John the Baptist baptized Jesus Christ the Bible gives the same record that Jesus came in Mark 1 10 up out of the water they come up out of the water because they went down into the water amen baptism was incomplete unless they had been immersed in the water Someone say amen. amen. About several centuries ago in Bethlehem, so we talk about immersion, but let's talk about the name. In Bethlehem, there was a name that was introduced and came upon the lips of many people, people that were poor, people that were sin-stricken, people that were in need of a Savior, 
And the angel Gabriel was the first to make mention of that name to Joseph. Joseph was engaged to Mary, found her pregnant with child, and the angel came to speak a word to him in Matthew 1.20. The Bible says, if I may skip him down just a little bit, when he spoke to Joseph, he said in verse 20, Fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. From the lips of Gabriel, the first time to Joseph, that child's name was spoke, Jesus. And since that day until now, that name strengthens us. That name is a saving name. That name is a healing name. That name is the name that is used to cast out demons and devils and those that are possessed. It is the name of Jesus Christ. The writer, which was inspired of God, plainly states that this name, Jesus, fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah 7:14, which says that the child's name was to be Emmanuel, which meant God with us. He said, this is a fulfillment in Matthew 1. He said, this is a fulfillment of that prophecy. His name shall be called Jesus, this one that is God with us. Someone say, amen. In Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 9, a lot of scripture this morning, walk with me if you will. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given to him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Folks, throughout the Old Testament, God revealed himself in many different ways throughout the Old Testament. In creation to Adam and Eve, he revealed himself to them as God, as El El Elohim, in the dispensation of promise with Abraham. Abraham knew God as El Shaddai. Amen. Whenever it comes to the time of the law, Moses knew God as Jehovah or the I am that I am. Am, all right, amen. We see Jehovah Shalom, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Nissa, so on and so forth. But whenever this new dispensation was about ready to start, the dispensation of the church, the dispensation of grace, amen, there came a name that excluded all previous ways that they had ever known him to be. And God was revealing himself in the name Jesus Christ, amen. Jesus Christ, that name of grace, that name that is above every other name in so much that in Acts chapter 4 Peter explains to a crowd of people concerning the miracle that was performed of the lame man that had sat at the gate of, uh, of that gate called beautiful at the temple and the Bible says in Acts 4 and verse 10 be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth whom ye crucified whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there, I say, salvation. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby, again, I, I, I emphasize, we must be 
saved. We must be saved and it's going to take a name and the name by which we must be saved is the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. John 14 verse 6, Jesus saith unto him, he's speaking and he gives answer and says, I am the way, Jesus says, I am the truth and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You can't get into him without going through Christ. You can't get there without Jesus' name, the name above all names, the name that's above Jehovah, the name that's above Elohim, the name that's above all the other Jehovah Shaddai, Jehovah Shalom. Amen. God ordained that name, according to Ephesians 1, to be above every other name, the name of Jesus. It is the saving name. Amen. In Colossians 2, 9, the Bible says, For in him, speaking of Jesus Christ, all the fullness of the Godhead bodily dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In Christ, all the fullness of the Godhead lives in bodily form in Christ Jesus. The fullness of God lives in a human body. That human body was Jesus Christ. Knowledge, wisdom, power, all of that was in the man of God, was in the man Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ came as the greatest revelation of God. Amen. Jesus Christ came as the greatest revelation of God. Jesus is the revelation of the almighty God that was made flesh among you and I. And his name is above every name. Demons tremble at that name. Sick are healed at that name. Remission of sins happen through and by that name. The prayers that we pray, my goodness, please use the name of Jesus. No man can approach unto the Father except in the name of Jesus. No other name by which you must be saved but by the name of Jesus. Colossians 3.17 tells us, And whatsoever ye do in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Amen. Someone say amen. amen. Baptism in the name. The apostles throughout New Testament Scripture always baptized in the name of Jesus. All their converts in every case were baptized in the name of Jesus. The Jews were baptized in the name of Jesus. The Gentiles were. The Samaritans were. We've seen the Ethiopian eunuch. He was. They're all baptized in the name of Jesus. Now, if we may go to Matthew 28, verse number 19, it says... Jesus speaking to his disciples says go ye therefore and teach all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost now baptism in Jesus name can be very simple if you believe the word of God all right you know, again, I want to back up, and I said this a few weeks ago, but listen to me. The lens of society has largely been jaded by traditions that came after Jesus Christ walked upon this earth. And a major problem people have, accept, have, have problems accepting with what God's word says is because they're looking through a lens of tradition that came after Jesus Christ spoke his words, taught his disciples, and instructed them. Whenever they, in the first century, read this book, they had no problem with the terminology or the relationships that were written in there. 
because they understood it straight from the master and there was not this other idea that didn't correspond with God's word out there that was influencing their view. Okay? And so there are at least six accounts of water baptism in the word of God after Jesus makes this statement in Matthew 28, 19. Not once in six accounts of water baptism did the baptizer ever repeat what Jesus said. And I emphasize repeat what Jesus said. There's never a record in the Bible of a baptizer saying, there's never a record after Matthew 28, 19, of a baptizer saying, of the six accounts that we have, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Did they disobey the command of Jesus? No. It's actually just the opposite of what you think. They obeyed his command to the letter. His command was, go therefore, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. They didn't repeat the words. They obeyed the command because they understood what and who that name was. They understood that Jesus was commanding them to baptize in the name. And the apostles knew the name of Jesus Christ. Not only that, we see here in Scripture that it says baptize in the name. No, it is again, just common English, it is name, it is singular, not names, plural. It is singular, name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. They knew, they had been taught, there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby they must be saved but the name, Jesus. All right? So whenever we consider the Scripture, let's consider the name, if you will, of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. That Jesus Christ is the name of the Father. Jesus Christ is the name of the Son. Jesus Christ is the name of the Holy Ghost. Remember, Jesus said, in the name of. Doesn't say names, but name, singular. So the question then that we pose, what is the name of the Son? One occurrence in Scripture that we can go to for this understanding in Matthew 1, 21 that we've already read in your hearing. The Bible says, and she shall bring forth, everyone say, a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. If I understand that, in English, English grammar appropriately, this son that Mary was to have, that Scripture calls the Son of God, his name would be Jesus. So the name of the Son was Jesus. So if Jesus said, go ye therefore baptizing them in the name of the Son, the name of the Son is Jesus. Mm-hmm. So what is the name of the Father? A place in Scripture we can go to to glean uh, some of this information is John 5, 43. It's important to denote in your Bibles that this is Jesus talking. This is Jesus speaking. Jesus said, Jesus said, I am come in my Father's name. And ye receive me not. If another shall come in his own name, him ye will receive. Jesus said, I am come in my Father's name. So when you know the name of the Son 
and that he came then in the name of his father, then you also know the name of the father. Amen. So Jesus says, go ye therefore baptizing them in the name of the son. That's Jesus Christ. And in the name of the father, Jesus said, I've come in my father's name, Jesus Christ. So what is the name of the Holy Ghost? In John 14, verse 26, again, Jesus is speaking. He said, but the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name. He said, the Father sending the comforter, or the Father sending the Holy Ghost in my name. Who's speaking? Jesus is speaking. So if the Father is sending the Holy Ghost in the one who's speaking name, he's sending it in Jesus' name. He shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. So God said the Holy Ghost in the name of the one that was speaking, the one that was speaking was Jesus. So the name of the Comforter or the name of the Holy Ghost is Jesus. So if you go therefore, amen, baptizing all nations and doing this in the name of the Father, that's Jesus. In the name of the Son, that's Jesus. The name of the Holy Ghost, that's Jesus. So whenever later on these six accounts when the disciples and apostles are baptizing people and they put them down in the name of the Lord Jesus in the name of Jesus Christ, they've not missed it. They got it because they knew the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost was Jesus Christ. They did not repeat those things because that which Jesus spoke was the command. They didn't repeat the command. They obeyed the command by baptizing in the name of Jesus Christ. And it's the name that there is no other name like it. It's the name that is endowed with power. Someone say amen. The name. Someone say the name. The name Jesus Christ. And so the apostles follow through to the letter in doing that. Because look, folks, again, Father is a title. Amen. Son is a title. Holy Ghost is a title. Amen. There's no power with the title. The power is in the same name that all three of these share, Jesus Christ. You can read Philippians 2. The Bible speaks that all power, authority, and preeminence is given to the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus. The Bible says in Ephesians 2.20, it speaks about us, how we're built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Now listen, if the apostles were mistaken, then our foundation is gone. Amen? If we're built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, if the apostles were mistaken, then we got a foundation that's corrupt from the beginning. But I don't think Jesus ordained that we're built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, himself being the chief cornerstone, if he didn't believe the words that they spoke and what they would relate to other people would be true and valid. Amen? If we don't believe what the apostles say, we don't have a foundation. Amen. If they're mistaken, we don't have a New Testament. Amen. And the apostles didn't just do this, but they also practiced it. Notice, notice in Matthew 28, 19, here's Jesus. He's stating those words. This is what many sometimes call the Great Commission. 
But look at verse 16, who's all there? In Matthew 28, look who's all there. The Bible says, then the 11 disciples went away into Galilee into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. The 11 were there whenever he gave these words, whenever he said, baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. The 11 were there. Judas is already on his rampage to go betray Jesus, so he's absent. All right, but the other 11 are there. Amen. And Judas hadn't been replaced at this point. Well, whenever we look at the day of Pentecost, whenever Peter is preaching on that day, in Acts 2.14, again, the Bible says, but Peter standing up with, look, the 11, then lift up of his voice. So we, the same 11 that were there when Jesus gave Matthew 28.19 are the same 11 there on the day of Pentecost, the same 11 at the Great Commission are the same 11 at the day of Pentecost, the same 11 that heard Peter say in Acts 2.38, then said Peter unto them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, why didn't Bartholomew, why didn't, why didn't James, why didn't one of these guys just speak up and say, hey, listen here, Peter, you're doing real good, but you got it wrong because they understood he got it right. Amen. The name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost that Peter said you must be baptized in is being baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Nobody gave an objection then nor thereafter because it was right. The apostles knew the name of each of those. It was Jesus. Now, if you look at the other six accounts in the Bible where people were baptized, you go on, as a result of Peter's message in Acts 2.38, there were people that were baptized. He was preaching of, which was the name of Jesus Christ. The Bible says, then they gladly received in verse 41 of Acts 2, his word were baptized the same day. We're adding to them about 3,000 souls. The apostles, the Bible says, were baptizing in the city of Samaria in Acts 8. Verses 5 and 16, we've already seen this, that when Philip went down to the city of Samaria, he preached Christ unto them. In verse 16, the Bible says, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. The Ethiopian eunuch, we have spoke about him coming up out of the water, but in Acts 8, the Bible says in verse 35, that Philip opened his mouth and that he preached Jesus unto him. And whenever they went on their way and, and the eunuch seen that there was water and he said, what doth hinder me to be baptized? Philip said, hey, if you believe, amen, with your heart, you can. And answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. Man, there's a, just another, uh, another revelation for the eunuch. He says that one that they talk about being the son of Mary, the son of God, that's Jesus Christ. He right there understood what the name of the son was. And he commanded the chariots to stand still and they went down both of them into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized them. The apostle Paul was baptized in Acts 9, 18. Amen. There's no mention in that of the titles, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. But later, whenever Paul is given testimony concerning his baptism and his baptism story, this is how he says it was done in Acts twenty two sixteen. He said, Arise, be baptized, and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord, and the name of the Lord is Jesus. Because whenever Saul was on his way to Damascus with letters from the hierarchy of his day to further his persecution in Acts chapter number 9 and he's been persecuting the church and the light from heaven shone down upon him and he fell off his beast and he heard a voice from heaven and that voice from heaven is speaking to him and saying Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And Saul says, who art thou, Lord? And that voice from heaven said, I am Jesus. Saul says, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am 
Jesus. So to be baptized in the name of the Lord is to be baptized in the name of Jesus. Someone say amen. This is supposed to be one lesson, and it's going to happen. It will happen in Jesus' name. Amen. And so all this is, all this is taking place in the lovely name of Jesus. Cornelius and his household received the power of the Holy Ghost, and Peter commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Again, in Acts 10, verse number 48. Amen. Uh, going on in Acts 19, verses 1 through 5, the apostle Paul meets with some of the Ephesians, and he asked them in verse number 2, I'll read this, and he said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, And to what then were you baptized? And they said unto John's baptism. Then said, Pete, then said Paul, John barely baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him, which should come after him. That is on Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, they're not mentioned in the baptism services. You don't find a record of that. This is part, I say this very, I say this, try to very diplomatically and gently this is one of those traditions, lenses that I spoke of aforetime that people have looked through that came about only after Christ walked upon this earth in the first century. We don't really see the origin of this taking place until the 325 A.D. era whenever this came about. This predates that. People that read this before that was shared in 325 A.D. seen Holy Ghost named Jesus. Mm -hmm. Father named Jesus. Son named Jesus. They had no problem with the terminology Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. They understood Father and Son to be relationships. Someone hear me. But it's after that point in time, there's a lens that comes then in front of the face of humanity that jades our view and our understanding. And that's what we then are trying. To, we're trying to just get back to the Bible. We're just trying to get back to the Bible. Amen. And so baptism, so baptism matters. Amen. We've already covered that it matters. And so if it matters, then I want to do it the Bible way that says I should be doing it. I want to be obedient according to the word of God. I don't want to obey what some, some man has propagated. I want to obey what Christ wanted. In Acts 19.5, the Bible says they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. John had baptized him, but his baptism was only a baptism unto repentance. Amen. The only difference from John's baptism and Paul's baptism was the name of Jesus. They had not used the name of Jesus. Amen. So they had to use it. And the Jews got it in Acts 2, and they used the name Jesus. In Acts 8, the Samaritans got it, and they used the name Jesus. Amen. Even Africans in Acts 8 got it, and they used the name Jesus. In Acts 10, the Italians, if you will, Cornelius was of the Italian band, the Bible says. Amen. They got it, and they used the name Jesus. In Acts 19, the Greeks got it, and they used the name Jesus. There's a couple reasons why the apostles commanded it to be baptized in Jesus' name. Again, 
the word is name. It is singular. I don't think any of us have to be or have a degree as an English professor to understand that is singular. The Bible does not say names but name. Baptizing the name, not the titles. Holy Ghost, listen. Holy Ghost is a noun denoting a relationship. And since there are many spirits in the world, the word holy is used to designate the Spirit of God who alone is holy. That adjective holy is put upon the ghost to designate it from every other spirit in the world. It is a holy ghost. The, 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 the titles father or the word father and the word son denote a relationship. I'm a father because I have children. Procreation is in my loins. All right? And then whenever I had a son, whenever I had my daughter, I became a father. There was a new relationship that I entered into. I am a son by virtue of being born. I'm a son by virtue of being born. There was a relationship I entered into whenever I was born. There was the son relationship. Amen. But father is not my name. And son is not my name. My name is Paul Robert McGee Jr. And when I do my banking and I sign the back of my check for cash, father isn't sufficient to write on the back. And son isn't sufficient to sign on the back. They're going to say, hey, we need your name. Why? Because the power in my account is associated with my name. Not my relationship of fatherhood or sonship. It's with my name. Amen. I'm also a pastor. And so people call me that, but that's not my name. Amen. They want, to, they want the name. They want where the power is. And so whenever Jesus said the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost, he was saying, man, I don't, not just titles called over them. I want the name on them. I want the, because listen, Father in many terms is a very generic term. The Bible says that we have many fathers, but only one instructor in Christ. Amen. But there's only one that dones the name of Jesus Christ with the power that he, you know, there's not a whole lot of people. There are some, probably, there's probably someone out there called their child Jesus. And I don't know, they must have really thought a lot of that little one. <laughs> I'm telling you what. But the name of Jesus Christ, amen, that is spoken of in Scripture, it has the power, it has the authority, and that was what was necessary to be evoked over a person for the remission of their sins in the Bible. Not intended for those titles to be repeated over them, amen, but he wanted them to be obeyed. And to obey is to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, secondly, another reason why they commanded it, look again, Matthew 28, 19, the Bible says, Go ye therefore. Now, I mean, years ago they said this, if you ever come across the word therefore, you need to understand why therefore it is. You got to go back to see why it's there. Because the word therefore is referring to something that's already been stated, already taken place. Amen? So if I say, you know, my, my daughter's birthday is September, September the 26th, therefore she's going to be nine years old. Well, if you go back to my therefore, all right, you go back and understand, well, she's going to be nine because her birthday's going to be then. All right? Is everybody with me? 
So therefore ties you back to something that's been stated, have already been stated. Look now at verse number 18, what's already been stated in Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power, Jesus, 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 says, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye, therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. He says, go therefore and do this. Why? Because I, mm -hmm, Jesus, have all power in heaven and in earth. And so you go go forth and you're going to baptize in my name because I have all power in heaven and in earth. They knew that name that had all power in heaven and earth was the name that the 11 heard. Amen. Whenever they understood in Matthew 28, 19, and whenever then Peter finally demonstrated that in Acts chapter number 2, and nobody dared try to stop them, it was the name of Jesus. And I'll close this morning with this. You stand with me. name of Jesus. Immersed water must 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 be have and I'm trying I'm trying to really pull an analogy together here in my head that couldn't make sense to everyone you know if you've ever worked with wood and you're, you're cutting something for your house or whatever it may be and you've measured it you know you measure twice cut once they say and you've measured it now if it is if it is three feet and eleven inches and seven eighths I usually don't cut at three feet eleven inches and seven eighths all right for one, I know I have the width of my blade that's going through there, so I always cut on the right side of the line that I need to cut on. But there's just something in me that I know if I cut it too short, there's another piece of wood that's going to have to be cut, and that has been waste for that purpose. This, what I do is I always cut just a tidbit longer than what I deem I need. Because if need to, I know I shave off whatever I need excess. But I've not wasted what I had for that purpose. So let's just forget I'm a preacher up here. Let's forget you're a bunch of saints in this house. And let's just think for a moment. Heaven is our goal. I'm just removing all the aspect of everything we've ever talked about this morning. Heaven is our goal. Folks, whenever you live your life, do you want to live it right on what you think should be expected? Or would you rather go above bar and get to heaven someday and say, you know what? I kind of was an overachiever here. But you know what? At that point in time, it really don't matter. Because I got to where my goal was. Because whenever you come up too short there, 
there's not another piece to cut to redo. There's no do-overs. So I want to live on the side of excess when it comes to my life living for the Lord. I want to come on the, light, on the side of excess. Can we bow our heads in this place? I feel the Holy Ghost in this Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.